going to share a message with you in the series this morning called Naked. Naked. And uh, as you can imagine with that interesting title, this has to do with shame and, uh, and, and nakedness. And, and kind of, it's just been amazing because this wasn't kind of pre-planned. But as we've gone through the series, we've often looked at stuff in the Old Testament, different things that happened in the Old Testament, specific through, specifically through the law and through the rituals of Israel. And how then, most of the time when you go to Hebrews, a lot of that is explained. And then we'll throw in a psalm and some other stuff in there. And we just see that these are actual themes in the Bible. So we spoke about ascend, ascending, and, and who'll stand on the hill of the Lord. We spoke about leaven, about how bread from the, the feasts of Israel all the way through. And, and last week we looked at mirror. Looking at, at the mirrors in the, uh, in the laver where the priests had to wash themselves and how in 2 Corinthians 3, we behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror and just all of these different things. And today, believe it or not, the Bible actually has this amazing theme about being naked. And I want to show you how, again, it points to Jesus and again, it points to our righteousness in Christ. And I want to start with Genesis 2. If you have your Bibles uh, here this morning, we're going to go to Genesis chapter number 2 and verse 25. Uh, and then we're going to read just after that Genesis 3 as well. With the fall. So, right in the beginning of your Bibles, Genesis chapter number two. If you have your iPhones out, you can uh, you can take them out and open up your Bible app. You should have one if you're a Christian. Bible apps. Those are like standard Christian things that you need. Um, if you have a Samsung, just put it away. Those aren't Christian. They don't believe. They don't belong to Jesus. Um, Genesis chapter number 2, verse 25 says this, simply it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Right up front in Genesis chapter number 2, the Bible connects nudity or nakedness. But here before the fall, it says that there was no shame with this nudity or with this nakedness. Being naked wasn't something they were ashamed of. Genesis chapter number 3 just one chapter on in verse 6. I want to read this passage, then we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about the gospel this morning. Genesis 3 verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves from God's presence. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Have you sinned? Then the man said, to the, then the, man said the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree. Just throws her under the bus. And I ate. It's this thing you gave me, man. I, I don't know. I was just standing here. I'm eating. I didn't, I'm sorry, you know. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We know that this is the moment when sin 
entered into mankind, entered into the world, and uh, commonly known as the fall of man. Uh, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today. Let's, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you're present right now in this moment, speaking, changing, challenging, uh, breaking things off, and, and, and giving us fresh perspective, Lord, on who you are, what you've given us, Lord, and, and the righteousness that we have in Christ. Father, we just humble ourselves before your word this morning, Lord God. Uh, we thank you that it's all about you and that you're the one who speaks. We trust you to do that this morning, Lord, and uh, we give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to share a story with you this morning that I haven't shared with a lot of people because it's pretty much the most embarrassing moment of my entire life. Like I cringe. You know those moments where you actually cringe thinking about it like every time it comes up you're like oh gosh did that really happen and it's just such a difficult thing uh you just wish it's one that you just wish it never happened you know so I had obviously many moments like this in my life but one specific one that stands out was when I was uh I think late on in primary school maybe 12 years old 13 years old and our family took a holiday out to the Drakensberg Mountains. Um, and it's at a space which is kind of a sports resort. So there's a bunch of kids and there's little tournaments every day, squash tournaments and, and swimming things and all kinds of different things that you can be a part of. So you kind of meet all these other kids and, and make some friends. And it was really cool for the first couple of days, made some, some nice friends out there and, and wanted to hang out with them. And one evening, in fact, my sister and I we went together, and they were hanging out. There was like a games room, and you know how all the cool kids hang out at the games room, and these cool kids all knew each other. They were hanging out, and we, my sister and I, really wanted to be a part of that group. We were like, yeah, we'll just, but we didn't want to just walk in and go, hey, everybody, what's, what's going on, you know, and, and just kind of insert ourselves into that group. So we were kind of hanging out. They were kind of in the games room or just outside, and then there was a court there, a netball court, and we were kind of like messing around on the netball court, hoping they would be like, hey, come and be our friends. And so we're kind of hanging around there. And then the moment came, the moment came when one of them approached us. And I was like, that's it. We wanted to make some friends. We're going to make some friends. We're going to have a great holiday. And this guy walks up to me and he goes, man, you're quite tall. Um, I want to see how, how tall you are. Won't you quickly just stand back to back? And I was like, wow, yeah, I was kind of tall for my age. So I was like, that's awesome. You guys recognize my talents and let's, <laughs> let's do this, you know? And, and so we're standing back to back and, uh, and this may have happened to you, or you may have seen this happen before. The next thing, in front of all of those other kids, including some pretty girls and all kinds of other, other people, um, he basically drops down and pulls my pants down with him, okay? Now, that would have been okay if it wasn't like, you know, the 90s, and you swam with those costumes that had the netting where you don't actually wear underwear. That was the major problem uh, in this scenario. So when he pulled my pants down, I was naked and ashamed, right? I was not the Adam and Eve version. I was the full fallen man version uh, in that moment. He, pu that he pulled my pants down in front of all of those other kids. And it like, in my shock, I was fumbling to get them back up. I was literally falling over naked trying to get my pants back up. Some of you guys are like about to cry for me. It's okay. I've, I've been to counseling. I've dealt with it. But um, but it was this, this horrible moment of actually being in, exposed. And for the rest of the holiday, I just decided, hey, I'll just, I'm fine here just watching TV, just here on the TV. I know it's a sports resort, but now there's some great shows. There's some infomercials. I'd like to watch these right now, you know. And, and, uh, and actually, it, 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 whatever relationships were there were just kind of instantly canceled. Just like no more relationship with those guys because I was ashamed. And uh, so, 
as I was thinking about this, you know, I want to talk a little bit today about shame and how it affects our relationships. And not only our relationships with one another, but with God. It affects you when you feel unworthy, when you feel insignificant, when you feel ashamed of things that you may have done in your life. And it affects the way you relate to God. If you have even a very subtle, under, kind of underlining feeling of shame or condemnation in your life, it will hinder your relationship with God. It will hinder the way in which you trust Him. It will hinder the way in which you serve Him. If there's even a hint of shamefulness. We see that Adam and Eve were created by God. And we also see God's intent in creating mankind, in creating us. God created us in His likeness because He didn't just want, uh, you know, a world like, like a Lego set that He could mess around with, and that he, but He created people in His likeness. And then the Bible says that when He created us, He breathed His Spirit, His Ruach, into us. And we became living beings, not just the biological life, not bios, but zoe, the, the God kind of life. He breathed His life into us. And the reason why God did that is actually so simple. Because He wanted to be our Father and have us be in relationship with Him like children, like His children. He wanted to love us, and He wanted us to love Him. We see this in the Old Testament again and again and again. Even through the law, even as God is working out this great plan of redemption, He, he, he constantly says things like, And then I will be their God. And they will be my people. That's the heart of God. He created us with that intent that we would know Him, that we would trust Him, that we would enjoy God. Come on, isn't that a novel concept in today's thinking and Christianity oftentimes? Have we forgotten to enjoy the Father who created us? To enjoy His presence? To trust Him? To want to be with Him? Not out of duty, but because He's our Father. And so... We see God's heart in creation. We see His intent. And without sin being present at that time in mankind, there was nothing hindering them from that relationship. There was no shame. They were both naked, but were not ashamed. When God arrived, they didn't go, oh God, um, geez, I didn't prepare, um, you know, I don't actually have any clothes on, and uh, the house is a mess, and geez, God, I know that you want to hang out with me, but can I just sort everything out first? Can you come back when I've sorted everything out? Because that's what we do. But back then, they had no shame. Free to relate to God. Free to walk with Him. Free to, to be in this incredibly rich, relation, close relationship with the Father. They were both naked and were not ashamed. So there's openness, transparency, nothing to fear, honesty. Just, this is who I am, God. This is all of me exposed before you. Here I am. And there was no sin, so there was no shame. And God actually pursues this kind of relationship, this kind of connection with them and with us. It says that they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you just imagine that for a moment? I mean, that's, for me, it's one of the most incredible verses, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because God creates this whole world. He creates this garden. He creates people in that garden. 
And then he literally comes down and takes a walk in the garden, in the cool of the day, which, by the way, is the best time of the day. You know, when, this, when the heat is broken and the sun is set and it's still light out and you can just go and take a walk and just enjoy that, that fresh evening air. That's what God comes. Like, he, but he doesn't want, want to walk there alone. He didn't just come to do a quick checkup on how the plants are doing. He comes and he calls out for Adam. And, Where are you guys? Let's take a walk. A journey with God. That's God's heart. He wants to journey with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to, he wants to show us things. Can you imagine having God as a tour guide through the garden? Hey, I created this. Let me tell you what it does. It's amazing. I, I can't even believe I thought of it. It's, a, it's just so cool. Adam, come and check this out, you know. He wants to show us things. He wants to lead us into things. He was accustomed to taking these, these walks with Adam and Eve, and this is a great picture of the kind of relationship that God still wants with us. Now, sometimes you can force relationships, even on a, on a human level. We do it often. We, we force certain relationships. We go, okay, if we're going to have a relationship, let's do this. We've got to do this to have a relationship. Or we've got to go and do that to have a relationship. But you know what? The, when the best relationships are happening, when the best bonding is happening, when the, when, the, when the best growth is happening in a relationship, is when you're not actually thinking about it, but you're just there. You just are. You just, walk, you just take a walk. Hey, let's go take a walk. Okay. And you come back and you go, whoa. That was amazing. Let's take, a, you know, let's take another one. That was awesome. We just, it, it's such a natural, organic, authentic thing. And it's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. This relationship with God was never, ever about following rules or laws. That was not ever the heart of it. In fact, even when God gave the law, He kept trying to show Israel that it's about the heart. So He tells them all to fast, and they all go, okay, let's fast. And then he goes, okay, but guys, you're not actually getting why I'm asking you to fast. Um, can, I can you just go and give your workers a day off? And can you just maybe just share some food with the poor? Come on, I I'm trying to get you to understand something through the law, but it's not the law itself. You see, the law gave us the opportunity, or we felt like it was an opportunity to use it in order to justify ourselves. And so in a very real way, following it, actually separates us from God because now we're being led by a letter rather than being led by the spirit, the heart. God wants to lead us in our spirit through a relationship. That's why he came and he lives with us. He abides in us. He, his spirit has been deposited, the Bible says. We have this deposit, this assurance. He lives within us and God's spirit witnesses to our spirits that we are now children of God. It's an inner witness that this is a relationship. It's, it was never been about just getting you to fit a system or to look a certain way or to, or to follow a set of rules. That's not what this thing has ever been about. God delights in us. Delights in us. He walks with us. He disciplines us. He, he causes us to grow. It's the cry of God's heart is for this authentic relationship. And one of the things that we said as a church that we really, really value, and I've got to tell you that this is such a big thing for me, is simply just authenticity. Authenticity. I've been in church for long enough and around Christians for long enough to know how inauthentic it can be sometimes. How much shame we try and cover up when we come to church or when we hang out. 
in a community like this. In fact, there are a lot of people who know about Anchor, who know about church, who know about Jesus, but aren't in church this morning because they feel ashamed, because they feel unworthy. How do I know this? I had a conversation with somebody about it this week, this week, chatting to somebody about church and about God, and she was telling me, she says, well, I used to have a great relationship with God, but then some, step, some stuff happened in my life, and I feel ashamed. In fact, she even came here once, but didn't come upstairs. She sat downstairs. She sat downstairs, not wanting to, not feeling like she can be a part of it. And so a lot of people feel that way, and then they feel that the only way that they can then actually come to church or be a part of what God's called them to do is to act, is to put on a pretense, is to pretend like everything's okay on the outside. And that's not who we want to be as a church. I said it right from the beginning. In one of our pre-launch meetings, we had this message about staying with friends and how there's wrestling room. Wrestling room. Wherever you're at in your journey with God, there's wrestling room. You've got some issues, we'll wrestle them through with you. This is not a place where you either follow the rules or you get out. This is a journey, a relationship that we want to help encourage you in as you walk with God. Romans 8 verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. When you came to Jesus, you didn't receive the spirit of the law, the spirit of slavery, so that you can be all afraid again about how ashamed you're supposed to be, just like Adam and Eve who sinned and then hid themselves. You didn't get that fearful spirit of slavery, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's intimacy, genuine intimacy with God. That's the spirit that you've received. That's the relationship that God wants to have with you. And so Adam and Eve had this, no shame, no sin, no limit to their connection with God. And then they were tempted to sin, and they did sin. And we see in the scripture what happens instantly as they sinned, instantly they were ashamed. They knew that they were naked. They covered themselves and they hid themselves from the presence of God. Hid themselves from the presence of God. Some of us are struggling to pray even, just on a daily basis, just to say a few words to God. Because the moment we start talking to Him and we start thinking about how real He is, we feel ashamed. I'm not worthy of speaking to you, God. I'm not worthy of, I have so many things I need help with, but God, I haven't lived right. I haven't, I haven't read my Bible. I haven't been going to church. I haven't been doing the things that you call me to do. I've been committing those sins and those things that I knew I shouldn't have been doing. So God, yeah, I'd like to trust you, but I'm actually a little bit ashamed. That's us doing the same thing as what Adam and Eve did. We cover ourselves and we hide ourselves from God. We sometimes even hide ourselves amongst the trees He created. Sometimes you can even hide yourself amongst Christian action. Hiding yourselves amongst the works of God. While I go to church, while I serve, while I, I'm present, while I do those things. But in your heart, you never really open up to God or are honest with God. That transparency. I know because I, I did this for years. When I wanted to just say like a five minute prayer for something in my life, I just... Before I know it, it's been 20 minutes of me just saying sorry to God first. 
Does, has anybody ever experienced that? You're like, I, I would like to just connect with you, God, but okay, sheesh, we got some, uh, you know, there's a backlog. <laughs> there's a backlog of some stuff that we first need to deal with before I can speak to you. And it hinders us in that connection with the Father. So they go and they, they hide themselves. They run from God. I really believe that the reason why people run away from God is because of their own shame. It's, in fact, the reason why people keep sinning. The reason why they keep sinning is because they don't do what Paul told them to do, which is reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Think about yourself as dead to sin. Yeah, but I still sinned. Yes, but think about yourself as dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's how you're going to overcome it. When you look at yourself with an air of shame, you will act as somebody who is condemned. If, if you live under condemnation, you will do the acts that are condemned. Because you're kind of like, well, I'm already condemned anyway, so I might as well, I might as well do this. I'm already, I'm, I'm already messing up anyway, so I might as well mess up some more. So it's shame. It's the root of shame and condemnation in our lives that keeps us doing the things that we're not supposed to do. Keeps us from being who Jesus has caused us to be through the cross. So we feel unworthy, and when you feel unworthy, what you'll do is you'll self-sabotage. If you don't feel like you're worthy for something, you'll sabotage that thing. This happens in relationships all of the time. This happens in marriages all of the time. I've counseled enough couples and done enough pre-marriage counseling to know this. And one of the first questions I now ask when I do marriage counseling is I'll look to both of them and I'll go, do you feel worthy of this person's love? And so many times I've had tears coming out and people just breaking down and going, I don't. I don't feel worthy of love. When you don't feel worthy, what you'll do is subconsciously you'll start sabotaging that relationship because you don't feel like you should, you're worthy of being in it. And that's what we do with God. When we feel ashamed, we begin to sabotage the relationship. Instead of running towards God, we start making ourselves scarce. We start hiding. We start covering up. And this is why we need to allow the gospel to speak to the root of shame and condemnation in our lives. Otherwise, we'll never truly be free to connect with God. We actually find this theme of nakedness, moving on a little bit from Genesis now, we, we find this theme of nakedness going forward um, into even all the laws that came out in Exodus and Leviticus. And uh, it's quite interesting to note that the priests had to wear special underwear, all right? They weren't Mormons, but they did have to wear special underwear uh, in serving God. There was a specific uh, uh, way that was proper for them to approach God. And it was for their nakedness to be covered in case they accidentally flash, right, in the, most, in the Holy of Holies. That's, if you're going to flash, you don't want to do it there, right? And, and it's because this nakedness represents the shame that came with sin. The shame that came with sin. So the shamefulness, the nakedness, is something that God actually instructs. Cover that up. And there's prophecy in all of this. In Exodus 20, verse 26, it actually says, God actually gives them instructions for building an altar. And it says, and you shall not go up to the altar by steps, up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. 
Like when you're approaching an altar, just leave the steps out. Just don't have steps because you could expose yourself while climbing up those steps. With Adam and Eve knew that they were ashamed, what they did is they went and they sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves with those fig leaves. But here's the thing about that kind of covering is that it is a temporary covering. They sewed fig leaves together. I'm sure later on they would have used animal skins taken from things as sinners entered the world that they actually now killed in order to cover themselves up. Certain things had to die for them to, to cover themselves up and, and to make these, these temporary coverings. And what I'm trying to say today is that we still do the same thing. We still do the same thing. When we come to church, and I hope you're following my analogy here, otherwise this would be weird, we put on special underwear. Special coverings. Temporary. I'm going to cover my shame today. I'm going to cover the stuff I'm struggling with. I'm going to cover that habitual sin. I'm going to cover up that depression. I'm going to cover up that, that hard time that I'm going through. I'm not going to let people genuinely see my weakness or my struggle. I'm not going to be honest with anybody about those areas. Why? Because we fear rejection as a result. Adam and Eve, uh, God, we hid ourselves because we sinned and we were naked and we were ashamed and, and, and we heard you were coming. We make temporary coverings for ourselves. And I kind of picture them, you know, it sounds, it's one sentence, but they went out, they found some big leaves and uh, they started doing some work. They actually worked on this. They, they sewed them together. So it, maybe it wasn't just a quick thing. They might have spent the whole day making these coverings uh, for themselves. And sometimes this is, again, one of the ways that we cover ourselves up is by doing enough good works. We cover our shame of our sinfulness, not by dealing with the root of it, but by working hard to try and redeem ourselves. Adam and Eve could have gone to God and said, here we are, God, we, we recognize that we're naked and we've messed up. Can you help us? But instead, they tried to make a plan which separated them from God. Trying to redeem themselves. This is what we try and do when we work for our own righteousness. And the, the fact is, it's not a true righteousness. It's not a dealing with shame. It's only a covering up of shame. So God comes looking for Adam. Again, one of the best parts of this whole story, God comes looking for Adam. And he asks the question, he says, Adam, where are you? I think God probably knew, being God and all, but he, you know, he still asks that question, where are you now, Adam? He comes looking for us. And again, this is a prophecy of what he would do through Jesus. God came looking for us. In our shame, in our sinfulness, in our nakedness. In all of our, uh, our, our misgivings and all of our failures and in all of our imperfections, the Bible says while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus comes looking for us in our nakedness and in our shame. We know the parable of the, of the lost sheep, how Jesus says he leaves everything else that he has behind and he comes looking for that one lost sheep. That's how God came looking for us through the person of Jesus. Comes to find us. And then Jesus does this. 
he delivers himself up to the cross. To be nailed to a cross for our sin and taking on our shame. He actually takes our nakedness. In fact, the Bible says that when they nailed Jesus to the cross, they stripped him of his clothes and they were casting lots for who would get the clothes. So we hid ourselves with, and, and, and put temporary coverings on because we were ashamed of our nakedness. But then Jesus goes to the cross completely naked, taking all of our shame. He hung there undignified, ashamed, exposed, stripped, and judged by God. Hebrews 12 actually tells us about the shame that Jesus experienced. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Who we, that's verse we spoke about last week. We look to Jesus. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What came with the cross? Despising the shame. Despising the shame. And as a result, he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the the shame. What does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus despised the shame? What this is saying is that the worst thing that Jesus was going through on the cross wasn't even the physical pain. It wasn't the nails that had been driven through his hands. It wasn't the, the, the crown of thorns that had been pressed into his head. It wasn't all the lashings that he had taken before. It wasn't the thirst that he experienced. It wasn't his, his, his limbs being dislocated and, and, and his, you know, him being unable to breathe as he hung there on the cross and as he uh, you know, was, was in all of this pain and all of this suffocation. What, what, what he actually was experiencing as the agony of the cross he endured the cross. What did he have to endure? The shame of it. That's, that's the agony of the cross, is the shame of sinfulness that Jesus took upon himself. He was there and he was ashamed. And in that moment, God the Father judges him and separates himself from his own son. The shame of losing a relationship as the result of sin. That's the agony of the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The agony of the cross. The pain of the cross was the separation from God. The shamefulness of sin is what Jesus took upon himself. But he did it for the purpose, for the joy that was set before him. He despised that shame. That's, that's a great way of saying he overcame it. In other words, if I can put it this way, he shamed the shame. Jesus shamed shame on the cross. When all the enemies were surrounding Jesus and thinking, that's it, we got him, that's it, we've got the victory, that's it. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus leads us in a triumphal procession. It tells us that he has made a public spectacle of Satan and his forces. He shamed shame on the cross by taking our shame upon him and paying the price and re reconciling us with God. John Piper put it this way. He said, shame was stripping away every earthly support that Jesus had. 
His friends gave way in shaming abandonment. His reputation gave way in shaming mockery. His decency gave way in shaming nakedness. His comfort gave way in shaming torture. His glorious dignity gave way to the utterly undignified, degrading reflexes of grunting and groaning and screeching. Jesus on the cross. He took our shame. But he did it for the joy that was set before him. Jesus knew that taking our shame upon him meant that we could know him. He, he was saving us. And this is what Jesus did. When he did this, he covered up our nakedness. He covered up our nakedness. I was speaking to a pastor recently who's helped a couple of uh, uh, couples through, through difficult spaces. And, and, and he's, he's seen every kind of thing that could, that could disrupt a relationship. And he speaks about this powerful moment where there was one husband whose wife had been unfaithful, pastor, and his wife had been unfaithful. And how this husband was so angry and had so many emotions, so many things he was dealing with. But instead, he went out and he, wore, he bought a white bathrobe. And he went home and he put it around his wife and he said, You're righteous. You're forgiven. You're clean. The scripture talks about us in heaven clothed in white robes, innocence, justification, righteousness. When Jesus took our shame, he gave us his righteousness by faith. We have become, by faith, the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's how we're righteous, not by making little fig leaf coverings, <laughs> not by coming to church and, and following some rules, not by pretending to be better when you know what's really going on, not by having this whole hidden life that you keep from everybody. No, we become truly righteous when we stand before God and we say, Father, save us. When we put our faith in Jesus, he covers our nakedness. He clothes us in righteousness. Zechariah 3, the prophet actually, there's again a prophecy of this. Zechariah 3 verse 3 says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. That's us right there. Clothed with filthy garments, sinfulness. Our hands are dirty. Our hearts are impure. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. That's what God does. And to him he said, Behold, says to Joshua, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure robes. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Jesus has taken your filthy garments away. He's taken the shame of our sinfulness, and he puts pure robes on us. Galatians 3 verse 27 says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on of new clothes. Like putting on new clothes. Clothes that, by the way, none of us could ever afford. We couldn't afford the, these clothes. Way too expensive for us. None of us can afford white robes, white robes. None of us could pay for it. None of us can earn it. We can't work enough lifetimes to, to make it available to us. We, we cannot buy back our innocence. 
This is the gift of God's grace. Putting a white robe on you to cover your shame. Our shame has been removed. I want you to know this. Your shame has been removed. You can be naked and unashamed. You can go back to where Adam and Eve were before the fall, where they were naked and unashamed because they stood in righteous innocence. We can go back to that free relationship that we had with God, that we so desire to have with God because of what He done. The old things have passed away. Behold, the old things have passed away. All things have become new. You have a new identity. You are a new creation. You are a new person in Christ. And I'm praying for us as a church that God would give us the faith to see ourselves this way. Start seeing yourself this way. How are we going to do it? How are we going to see ourselves? You just need to go and listen to, to last week's message called Mirror. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You behold his glory as in a mirror, as his spirit is transforming us from glory to glory. You see yourself differently. In other words, if I can put it this way, you become more Christ conscious, uh, conscious than sin conscious. See, that's the reason why some of us can't have a proper relationship with God, because we're constantly evaluating how sinful or not sinful we are. And so if we've had a good week, we're great with God, we think. And if we've had a week where we've messed up a little bit, uh, not so good, God, I'll pray again next week. You know, somebody comes to you to pray for a prayer, and, and, and you're just like, uh, you know, I actually, if you, knew, if you knew what I did yesterday, you wouldn't ask me to pray for you. So maybe, should we phone a pastor? Should we find somebody else who's maybe more qualified in this moment? That's not how God wants us to see ourselves. He wants us not to be conscious of, of, of what we're doing or not doing, but conscious of Christ. Because when you're conscious of Christ and your heart is filled with gratitude and love, you will naturally start walking in the things that God has called you to walk in. Fix your eyes on Jesus and it is He who works in us both to will and to do, as it says in Philippians. It's His grace that leads us into those things. It's our shame that caused us to run away from God but it's His grace that makes us turn around. And as we come to a close this morning, I, I want to just remind you of this one incredible story in the Bible, again, where somebody was caught um, in shame and, and in nakedness, which was the woman who was caught in adultery that we find in, uh, in Scripture. And how the Pharisees catch this woman and they bring her before Jesus and they throw her down in the dust before him. She was most probably naked. She'd been caught in sin. She was probably filled with shame. Can you imagine in your lowest moment, in your weakest moment, the Pharisees get you? Like if anybody get but the Pharisees get you. And then they take you and they throw you down in front of Jesus. And you know that this is probably the end because according to the law, anybody that had uh, committed adultery like that were to be stoned. The law is going to condemn me. I am condemned to death because I have sinned. So they ask Jesus. They say, so what should we do with this woman? The law of Moses commands that we should stone her. And the Bible says Jesus pretended like he didn't hear them. 
<laughs> Again, I love those verses because Jesus was so cool. He's just like, mm, okay. And uh, he, gets down, he gets down into the dust. Again, a picture of what God did when he sent his son. That he doesn't judge us from on high as something separated, but he comes looking for us. He actually gets down into this dust with this woman who is naked and ashamed. And he starts to write in the sand. And he says to these guys, all right. So whoever of you have, have kept the law, whomever has kept the law perfectly, whomever hasn't sinned, if, if, if you are able to be a righteous judge in this moment, then you cast the first stone. Go ahead, do it. But if you're guilty of the law, you can't judge others according to it. <laughs> you cannot be a righteous judge if you're guilty of breaking the same laws that you're judging others for. That's why we shouldn't judge. And the Bible says that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. I find that so significant because if you've been alive for a long time, you know, when you're young, you're still like, I'm a good guy. I'm a good, I'm, I'm, I can do this. I can, I serve God. But when you like, you've lived a couple of years, you're just like, oh yeah, that's me. I'm done. I'm, I've broken the law. From the oldest to the youngest, they all drop their rocks and they, and they walk away. And Jesus gets up. He gets this, he stands up and he says to this woman, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And then he says this. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. No one's condemned you. Then I don't condemn you. Here's the thing. Jesus was the only one who could have righteously judged her. Jesus would have been completely within the statutes of the law to have picked up a rock. And in that moment, to have stoned her because he had never transgressed the law or committed any sin. He's the only righteous judge, the only keeper of the law. And yet he says, I don't condemn you. I'm not here to condemn the world, Jesus says, but to save it. I'm not here to condemn sinners, but to save you. Incredible. He had the choice. He could have judged us, but instead... He took our shame and he died for us. Romans 8 verse 1 to 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not some condemnation or a little bit of condemnation or condemnation every now and again until you repent again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, in other words, the Spirit that God has given you, has set you free in Christ. From the law of sin and death. You don't have to. You're not a slave to sin anymore to follow its commands. For God has done what the law could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. When Jesus hung there, he took the condemnation. He took the shame. He took the sin. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Where? Where is it fulfilled? In us. He fulfills the law in us. You see, what Jesus is trying to give you is not a changed life, but an exchanged life. It's not a better version of what you've got going on now. It's a brand new one. It's a sinless one. It's, a, it's one in which the law has already been fulfilled. Those who walk not according to the flesh, not according to the law, not according to your fig leaves and, and all the stuff that you can do, but according to the Spirit, according to your relationship as a child of God, according to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. 
No longer according to the law are we made righteous. We've never been able to be made righteous but the, through the law, but through Jesus. Here's that verse in John 8. Jesus said to a woman, where are those accusers of yours? You know what the Bible calls Satan? The accuser of the brethren. That's what he loves to do. I told you before, he wants to rob you of your confidence before God. So he will come and he will accuse you according to your sin. But Jesus says, where are those accusers now? Has no one been able to condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Please do not do what so many Christians do and switch this verse around. He doesn't say, go and sin no more and then neither will I condemn you. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus deals with the root of our shame. He deals with the root of our condemned unworthiness. When we stand before God, we, we feel, oh, I don't belong here. He deals with that. He says, I've declared you innocent. I've declared you free from condemnation. So go and live the life that you could never have lived under condemnation. Does that make sense this morning? When you begin to believe in your righteousness, your life will begin to express that righteousness. As Charles Spurgeon said, right believing leads to right living. It's not right living that leads to right believing. It's a wrong idea that people have that I must first fix myself before I can come to God. No, come to God, He'll fix you. <laughs> He'll give you a different life. We've got to go back. Through Christ, we're able to go back to that pre-fall time where we can be naked and unashamed. They were both naked and they were unashamed. Nothing to hide. You can be honest about your sin. Paul, in fact, says, I boast in my weaknesses because I know that my weakness means that Christ is an opportunity for Christ's strength. I've made you a promise as the pastor of this church that I never want to be the kind of pastor that pretends like everything in my life is just always okay and I never have any problems or issues. Because I can say that I have an issue in this area, but in that I know that Christ is strong. I know that I am weak. I'm not trying to pretend to be anything but that. Because in and of myself, I have no strength. And that is a great opportunity for the grace of God to be at work. We're free to be weak. We're free to be honest. We're free to drop the mask and to, and to drop the fig leaves and just go, hey God, this is me. Nothing to hide, no shame. We had our year-end party yesterday and I got two two-year-olds and they're in that phase right now. If you're a parent, you'll know what phase I'm talking about. The phase where, where being naked is just awesome, right? My, my two my two-year-old two boys never wanna wear pants. They might still keep shirts on, but they never, ever want to wear pants. Whenever people come over to my house, I'm like, I'm so sorry. It just, they just keep, I keep putting them on. They just keep taking them off. They just want to run around naked like two-year-olds do. There's no shame. At one point yesterday at the party, 
my one boy wanted his, he had been swimming and he wanted his costume off and he was jumping naked on the jumping castle. There's an image for you, right? Uh, naked, just no shame. Innocence. That's what Jesus gave us through the cross. Was that level of innocence to be ourselves. Not for one second to believe any longer that we are condemned or separated from God. But to trust wholeheartedly that it is His Spirit that resides within Him. That we are His children. That He is faithful even when we are faithless. That He will not leave us nor abandon us. That He won't leave us as orphans, but that He has sent His Spirit. That we are His children. And that every single moment, He will walk with us.